You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Well, good morning, Life Church. You look good this morning. How are you? You doing well? Get out your Bibles. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to hit 1 through 24 today. Um, hey, I just want to say this about Trunk or Treat coming up. You know, I, I, really, I really appreciated what Elijah had to say. You know, Halloween, many times people think that the devil owns Halloween. Just so you know, this is the day that the Lord has made. God owns every day. We don't give any day to the enemy. And when the world decides they're going to uh, glorify death, Life Church comes to be countercultural and to say, no, we're going to offer a place of life. So that's why we're just going to love on little kids. We're going to get them away from where they would have been to where we want them to be. We're going to have cars that are based on Bible characters. We don't do anything scary or anything ghoulish. We instead just reach out and love on little ones. Amen? Because God loves them every day. We're going to love them every day. I don't believe in Halloween. Okay? I don't believe in any of that either. But we're not going to let the devil have a day where the church hides inside. We're going to go after it. Amen? So, just wanted to let you know that. That's kind of how we roll here. Um, I... Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I love, well, first off, I loved, enjoyed tremendously being led in worship by all those young people today. Could we tell them? They're probably back in the back room, but let's just tell them how much they mean to us. Life Church is a church that believes in investing in young people. Part of my call, I told them yesterday when we were at the Truth Conference, I said, I got called into the ministry when I was 14 years old. And the Lord told me, preach the gospel and preach to young people. And that's, you know, I just got to be honest with you. That is why young people, kids, teenagers, we have to be passionate about this age. The world is fighting to destroy them, and we are fighting to raise up a different generation that's going to change the world. Amen? And so you, I, I think sometimes we see that, that the enemy's attack is so greatly upon them, and of course it is because if a kid does not give his life to the Lord by the time they're 18, they, the, the chance of them coming to Christ decreases by 80%. What you saw with Chris and Debbie Atwood, by the way, those, those young people grew up in my youth ministry in Kokomo, Indiana. So to watch them keep moving on in ministry is fun for me. Because what are we doing? We're passing on to a new generation. We are hero makers here at Life Church. We are building and putting other people on our shoulders. Go do the work of the gospel. Do the work of the kingdom. And when we're going after college kids... Listen, the, the, number, the number is incredible. Like, we've got to touch people before they get out of college. The battle for the mind is happening. The battle over their souls is happening. And the enemy means to divide them and conquer. He wants to divide the family on belief systems. Carving the family up. And it's easy to see just in the way that the natural world goes, that the family can be carved up very easily. I remember whenever I was, I was 12 years old, 12 years old, 
My two brothers are older than me. Uh, my, my brother Paul, he would have been about 17 at this time. My brother Aaron would have been about 15. Paul means small. Aaron means a mountain of strength. Aaron towered over Paul, but Paul was older. They got into a fight when mom and dad weren't home. And they were swinging at each other, right? Now, they weren't connecting a lot, but there was a lot of swinging going on. And I was home, and I remember at that time, we were very into hockey. So I watched all of, as they're going at it, I did the only thing that made sense to my little peacemaking heart. I went and got a goalie stick, and I ran to get between them to separate them. Well, just about this time, they're staring each other down. Here's Paul looking up at his younger brother. There's Aaron. He's huge. He's looking down. I think at this point, it's like this showdown. Who's going to strike first? And they're standing, and Paul just can't take it. And he just, bam, jabs Aaron right in the face. And Aaron starts spitting blood. And all of a sudden, Aaron reaches down, grabs that hockey stick out of my hand, because I'm like this. Grabs that hockey stick out of my hand, and the thing I hear my oldest brother say is, way to go, Nathan! Like it was my fault somehow. And so Aaron goes chasing. We're the pastor's family in town, and this has now worked its way out of the house. It has worked itself out into the yard, and it's been like this is a domestic situation. When Paul hit Aaron, he shattered his knuckle. If you, if you know what that's called, it's called a barroom break, right? And, and Paul had to have surgery in order to repair his, his pinky knuckle because he broke it. And he has a scar that goes down here. And my mother said, hey, Paul, because we all went into the ministry. Every time you're preaching, just know that scar is facing all those people. You know, when you think about um, just fights that happen in the family, uh, what's so unfortunate is that a lot of fights don't ever find resolution. You know, I don't necessarily think it's bad to fight. I think it's bad to, to not come to conflict resolution. So you have different points of view. You're going to fight. But do you make up? Do you put those things down? Do you get them fixed? Do you forgive one another? Actually, uh, this, this June, uh, Cosmopolitan Magazine talked about familial estrangement. I know what you're thinking right now. Pastor Nathan, what are you reading Cosmopolitan Magazine for? I was looking for an article and just happened to find one. Um, but there, there's a guy named uh, Carl uh, Pelmer, who's a professor at Cornell University. He's the author of a book called Fault Lines, The Fractured Families and How to Mend Them. And he found that in 2020, 27% of Americans over the age of 18 were estranged from a family member. And this story that we're going to look at today is an estrangement that's been going on in the royal family. So there, the funny thing is about estrangement, a lot of people think that when you stay away from family members, that will actually help heal things. 
but it doesn't. It actually kind of works the opposite way. A lot of people tell that uh, to couples, like maybe you just need to separate for a while and, and that will help you come back together. It rarely does. But that mentality, oh, oh, we just need to go into our separate corners. What we need to do is forgive. We need to actually have to run into one another and work it out. If my wife and I ever get into a fight, which it happens because we're human, we don't leave the house. We do go into our separate corners, and she says to me, I can't talk to you right now because I'm mad at you. But at 7 o'clock tonight, we'll come back together and discuss this. Now, that's important for my heart because I'm the guy who wants to chase her down to, to, to work it out. She's the one that wants to get away so she doesn't kill me, right? Or say something, say something that, that you can't take back. So it's not whether we fight, it's how we arrive at conflict resolution. Does that make sense? And in this story, we have not gotten to conflict resolution. This is really a story about whether or not this family can overcome the estrangement that's happened. Remember, we've got uh, Absalom, whose beloved sister Tamar has been raped by her oldest, uh, the, the oldest in the heir, Amnon. Uh, Absalom goes and kills Amnon, and when that happens, um, he runs for his life. He runs because he knows that this this is, this is a national uh, controversy. It's a national scandal. And he is, he's a prince on two fronts. He's a prince under his father, Absalom, but he's also, he's also the, uh, the, great, the grandson of the king of Geshur, which is over on the east side of, of the uh, Jordan River. And so he runs away. Now, there's two years between the rape and the murder, and David has not dealt with the situation. Now there's three years between Absalom running to his grandfather in Geshur and now the story that we're about to look at. So let's go to verse 1 of chapter 14. And this is called the woman of Tekoa. Now Joab the son of Zeruah perceived that the king's heart was inclined towards Absalom. He's lost a son already, he's got a daughter that's been raped, his family's in a bunch of turmoil, and he's lost his son now who's run away from him, and they have not spoken in three years. His heart was inclined towards him. He's thinking about, what am I going to do with this situation? I want my son to come back to me. And I, this is the, I, I want you to get this. I believe that reconciliation is worth fighting for. Do you know the Bible says that every single believer has been given the ministry of reconciliation? All of us. To what? To God, back to God the Father. Right? Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father, to bring us back into right relationship. If that was Jesus' mission, is that also part of the church's mission? Yes, to bring the lost back into relationship with the Father. And Joab is David's nephew, and he's doing that. He is, he is trying to bring back his cousin back into relationship with his dad. So, the king's mind is on how to deal with this situation. What am I going to do? He has no chance to fix anything with Amnon. Amnon's dead. That situation 
is what it is. But Absalom has effectively been banished. Now, he's not banished because David ordered him banished. He's banished because he took himself away. There's no official thing that says you're in exile, but that's exactly the way that it is playing out. And David loves Absalom. But he's also under the microscope of the kingdom. What is David going to do in this situation? He's not just a father, he's also the king, and every eye is on him with how he's going to deal with it. He can actually see both sides of the situation. But he's not decided to do anything, and his passiveness is causing a big problem. He does nothing. And Joab is, is this guy that we've talked about before. Sometimes Joab is the voice of wisdom, and other times he is, he's not smart at all. But in this situation, he sees that, that David really wants to reestablish relationship but doesn't know how to go about it. Remember that Joab was also cursed by David when David uh, had, had a, uh, this man named Abner and, and Joab kills Abner because Abner had killed his younger brother, Asahel. So there's like this, this big um, family feud and David did not like how Joab went about that and cursed him and said there was always going to be like always uh, like cripples and people with different physical ailments because of what Joab had done. Joab needs to get favor in the eyes of David because right now he's living under the curse. So he's trying to do anything he can to kind of reconcile things back. So Joab sent to Tekoa and he and he brought a wise woman from there and said to her, please pretend. Everybody say pretend. Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments now. And do not anoint yourself with oil, but be like a woman who is mourning for the dead many days. And then go to the king. Speak to him in this manner. And so Joab put the words in her mouth. Now, Joab needed a shrewd and believable actress. I want you to take this story, and you're going to go to the king. Now, during these days, there were, there were different judges in the land. Judges would handle different levels of difficulty of, of civil questions, maybe criminal questions that come up. They handled kind of some low-level things, but there was also a way that you could appeal to the king. They used to do this with Moses. They were able to bring their tough questions to Moses. And so tough questions were decided by the king. You got the hard ones. But he is, remember that God is the king of Israel, but when he established the king, he established him as a co-regent to rule with him. And so it is in the power of the king to show mercy or judgment. He can do either one. And so Joab knows that David loves a good story. Remember how Nathan, the prophet, was able to convict David. He used a story, a parable. And so the stage is set for such a parable. And you know, one thing about drama, drama has a way of making our guard come down. Sometimes we can watch a movie and we're like, oh, that really tore at my heartstrings. It has a way of just revealing our heart. And this woman is playing the part of a mother who has two teenagers, or perhaps they're young men. 
just like my brothers. And her husband is dead. And she's trying to parent two sons, but without the benefit of a father. And there's a classic sibling rivalry embedded in the hearts of these two young men. So verse 4, Now when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground. She prostrated herself and she said, Help, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? And she answered, Truly, I am a widow, for my husband is dead. Now I'll tell you what. Parenting teenagers, when you have two people, a mother and a father, who are on the same page, who grew up the same way, who believed the same way about parenting. That is hard enough. But parenting by yourself, especially when you are a woman trying to parent young men, they are just a different breed. That is a very, very challenging thing for a parent to do. Truly, I'm a widow, for my husband is dead. Your maidservant had two sons, but the two of them struggled together in the field, and there was no one to separate them, and so one struck the other and killed them. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that there are many sibling rivalries that are throughout the story of God's people. Here's the story even that starts off with the very first murder in Scripture, the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. And this story is like that story in some ways, and it's different in others. Cain was Adam and Eve's firstborn. Cain killed his younger brother Abel because Abel was blessed by God because of the type of sacrifice that he offered and that he offered his first and best. He was a shepherd. He brought the sheep the sheep had blood in it. God desires the sacrifice of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The right picture was what Abel was bringing. What did Cain bring? Cain brought, he brought of, of the fruit of the ground, but it wasn't his first and it wasn't his best. And so in the end, God favors Abel's uh, gift, but doesn't favor Cain, and so Cain turns around and kills his brother because of this. Cain hit Abel in a field. He committed the first murder, and that murder was what we call, it, it's premeditated. There's different ways you can kill people. There are, there's premeditated murder. This is why in America we have um, murder in the first degree, second degree, third degree. We have something called um, manslaughter in the first degree, the second degree, the third degree. They carry with them, um, did you mean to do it? Was there malice in your heart? Did you, was this an accident? And various situations juries are supposed to look at that differently this one was premeditated and in this woman's story the two sons get into a fight about what we don't know it seems that they're in some kind of a scuffle and it turns out that it's 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 tragic and one of the boys is killed it may not have had that same premeditated tone that Cain and Abel had because because in, in reality, we watch all these movies where everybody punches each other in the face. And my wife and I, when we're watching one of those movies, I said, you see that punch right there? That guy's knocked out. That is baloney. If you've ever been hit in the face, you realize it hurts bad. 
It, 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 nobody takes the type of abuse that we see in these action movies. People die with many times when, when somebody gets struck. In this situation, it seems to be that the, whatever they were fighting over, tempers got heated and they hit each other. Verse 7, now behold, the whole family has risen up against the maidservant, and they say, hand over the one who struck his brother. So now this is the, the, this is the community that is coming together to say, we've had a murder committed, we've, we've had death, we think we have a murder on our hands, Let, I want you to hand over the one who struck his brother, so that the, we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed and destroy the heir also. Now, that is what should happen according to the law. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, blood for blood. That's the Old Testament law. But this woman only has two sons. If she loses, she's already lost one son. If the second son is put to death for this, she is destitute. She has no one to take care of her in her old age. And her husband, who has just died, no longer has any possibility for an heir and his name to continue in Israel, which was a big deal. Here's what she says. Thus, they will extinguish my coal, which is left, so as to leave my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. This is why she can come to the king with this difficult question, because under the law, it requires one thing. But this is a situation that may have some extenuating circumstances that need to be heard. These, this one is a tough question. Here's what I want you to know about reconciliation. I said reconciliation is worth fighting for. Reconciliation requires mercy. In this scenario, the people are to follow the law. They're to kill the son. And you could see that in Numbers chapter 35, verse 31. It, it, it lays it out. But now, king, what will you do? Who's going to care for me in my old age, she's saying. She's not just talking about having mercy on her one son, which, I, of course, anytime something happens to your kids, it hurts you worse than if it happened to you. How many parents can say amen? In this scenario, she's also thinking, I'll have nobody, I'll have nothing. And she doesn't believe that the fathers of her tribe and her clan are really considering everything. She has very little power, and so she appeals to the father of the nation, King David. You must intervene in this situation. It's only in you that I have any hope at all. Now, the question is, does David have the right to suspend the law? Yes. The king has the power of pardon. Just like our governors have the power of pardon, the president has the power of pardon. It is something where there are places where God wants you to know that pardon is a possibility. He does it with Cain, the very first murderer. Cain comes and says, everybody's going to kill me because I've killed my brother. And he puts a mark upon him and says, no one will kill you. God can choose to have mercy on whomever he wants. And he gives that authority to kings and governors also to determine if they will have mercy. What's the king going to do? Verse 8, then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. 
But the woman of Tekoa said to the king, O my lord, the king, the iniquity is upon me and my father's house, but the king and his throne are guiltless. He's saying, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send a message about what to do. Just go back to your house. And she goes, uh-uh, I need an answer today. I can't afford to go back to my house. I need an answer today. So the king says, whoever speaks to you, bring them to me and they won't touch you anymore. And she presses him. Look at verse 11. And then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God so that the avenger of blood will not continue to destroy. Otherwise, they will destroy my son. The avenger of blood is what you have in the Old Testament. If, if somebody killed my sister, I was allowed to go hunt that person down. They could run to what were called sanctuary cities. Not the same as what we have today. But at a sanctuary city, a fugitive from the law could go there and they were safe so long as they never left that city. If they stepped out of the city and the avenger of blood was there, the avenger of blood could take their life. She's saying the community is the avenger of blood in this situation, and they're going to hunt my son. I need you to rule on this. And, she, and he said, as the Lord lives, no, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. He gives her hope. Your son is not going to die for this. I'm going to give mercy. Then the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak a word to my lord, the king. And he said, speak. And the woman said, okay, she's going to come out of her pretend situation because she's a wise woman. She has just gotten the king to do something for her he has not done for his own family. Watch this. The woman said, why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in speaking this word, the king is as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring back his banished one. What you're willing to do for me in my made-up scenario, you're not willing to do for our country because imagine how everybody is afraid of what's going to happen. Who's going to be the heir of the kingdom? They can see the situation with, with Absalom, and they can see his side. His sister was raped and rejected and thrown away. The king did nothing about it. He took matters into his own hands, killed that, that, mur that, that rapist, and has run. So a lot of the people feel for Absalom. In the situation they understand and they don't really find him at fault in the matter now God does because God knows that his his whole decision to kill his brother was based on the hatred with the wound that happened to his sister but they're all worried about civil war there and that may be why Joab is also trying to play such a part in this because he's the commander that has to go out and fight civil wars he might see that this is, we got to get this situation taken care of, or this is going to get really bad. And a lot of people are going to suffer. She says, you are not doing right by the people of God. Your job is the father of this whole country. Now go and bring the banished one back. 
Verse 14, for we, are, we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways. Now watch, this is a beautiful verse. This is a gospel verse. This is a good one. They're all good. This is good. God does not take away life, but plans ways so the banished one will not be cast out from him. Every one of you, this is a verse for your heart and mine. Because we were the banished ones. Estranged from the Father. But God has a plan. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. She's right about this is the heart of God. And I want to tell you, when she talks about this water spilled out on the ground, can you collect water that's been spilled up, spilled on the ground? Can you collect it again? No. It is, your opportunity is gone. So let me say this. Don't take for granted a last remaining opportunity to be reconciled with one another. Do you know that even the idea of communion, when we come to have communion with one another, we're supposed to think about people that we've wounded or that have wounded us. We're supposed to take that moment to forgive them before we participate in that communion. And in fact, we're to lay our gift at the altar and go and make it right. That's how important reconciliation is in the family of God. She says, if you don't act, the moment's going to be lost. She's saying a great truth about the nature of God. And I just want to tell you, if there's anybody in here and you are struggling with a wound that you have never been able to heal, you have carried an offense for a long, long time, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. I want to tell you that it will help guide you through the process of whether or not you are going to hold on to that offense or you're going to lay it before the Lord. I, the Bait of Satan by John Bevere. Beautiful truth in that book. 15 says, Now, the reason I have come to speak this word to my Lord the King is that the people have made me afraid. So your maidservant said, Let me now speak to the King. Perhaps the King will perform the request of his maidservant. She says, I need an overcoming word from you, the King, who understands the need for mercy. I remember there was a newsboy song that says, when you get what you don't deserve, that's a real good thing. We call that grace. But when you don't get what you do deserve, that's called mercy. There's a need for mercy. She fears those who can exact upon her life the consequences of the law. There are lots of us who have the ability to carry, we think we have a right we think we have a right to carry this offense to its logical conclusion, whether that be estrangement, whether that be holding them accountable to what they have done. And, and, and the play for mercy is not the first place we go. We go naturally to the law in our own hearts. But she says there's something about the king. His, his mentality has to be that of God's. It has to be bent towards mercy. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant. 
from the hand of the man who would destroy both me and my son from the inheritance of God. She's saying, your job is to deliver me from the one who has the right to kill my hope. Then your maidservant said, please let the word of my Lord the king be comforting for as the angel of God. Okay, so just so you know, it's not any angel. The angel of the Lord or the angel of God, this is where we, we call this a Christophanies in the Old Testament. It means where Jesus is seen in the Old Testament prior to being incarnated into the baby Jesus, right? Into the man Jesus, where we see the Son of God present. So she's about to say something about deity, about the Lord, and how God operates, Please let the word of my Lord, she's talking about David, be comforting for as the angel of God or as Jesus, so my Lord, the king, to discern good and evil and may the Lord, your God, be with you. This is the heart of God. Is it in your heart? Now, David does not own his failure. David's failure as a father is that he did nothing about this situation. And I want to just say this, dads, your job is to do justice in the home. You must make hard calls. You must take the, the discipline issues. The Bible actually doesn't say that the, the women in our family are to be the disciplinarians. Now, I think that they should discipline. I think both should discipline. But it says that the father disciplines those he loves. I believe that we have a, a need to respond. So in the family, the father is, is the king. He's the one who has the power of mercy. This is why, where the old statement used to be, where wives would say to their kids, wait till your father gets home. And we'd all start trembling. Because dads are doers of justice. I remember, man, I would tan my kids' hides. And I, 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 I totally did it. I, I had a process where I, I went through it so I could do it as biblically as possible. Because when kids look at their fathers, they get a picture of God. And I wanted them to have a righteous picture of God. God is a God who corrects and holds us accountable. But he's also the God that forgives and restores. There had to be all that in the process. And I, I, I would walk my children through that. But I remember there was a time where I could not figure out if Jonathan deserved a spanking. I, I, I was listening to the whole thing. I just wasn't sure. And I said, Jonathan, you get to go free. He goes, what? <laughs> I said, I'm not going to spank you. I can't tell in this situation if you're right or if you're wrong. And so I choose that, Jonathan, you get grace. Go ahead buddy, you can go. Now, I'm not going to say that happened a lot, but it did happen. You must make hard calls. But Jesus will be with you. He'll give you discernment in the issue. David wasn't willing to allow wrath to fall on Amnon, his son, when he was deserving of it. Amnon needed to be disciplined. He needed to be killed for what he had done. At the very least, he could have spared his life and banished him. 
He could have said, because he's acted this way, Amnon will never be king. I've ruled. I'm going to have mercy. He can never dwell in Israel. He'll never be the father of this nation, but he's out of here. He could have done that. That way, Absalom wouldn't have done what he did. He could have shown both righteousness and justice and mercy. But now David is under this, under, under what is he going to do here? I want you to know that God was willing to allow wrath to fall on his son when he was undeserving. David's not willing to allow wrath to fall on Am Amnon when he was deserving. But God was willing to allow wrath to fall on Jesus when Jesus was undeserving. David is compared here to the justice and the wisdom of the angel of the Lord. But in honesty, he doesn't hold a candle to the real angel of the Lord, the real son of God. And so when the king answered and he said to, to the woman, he says, please do not hide anything from me that I'm about to ask of you. And the woman said, let my lord the king speak. Please speak. Here's what I want you to understand. Peacemaking has to be grounded in wisdom. There's been a wisdom that's gone through this whole situation. And I, I know that there are some terrible things in estrangement in our families, but I just want to say this. I'm not just telling you to not go into it with discernment. Go into it with discernment, and may the Lord give you wisdom. But that's where peacemaking is done in wisdom. He says, tell me the truth. Are you the puppet of Joab? Now, I think Joab already spoke to David about this whole situation, but David wouldn't listen to him. So Joab spent, sends another party to try and move his heart. David is, is quick to judge another person's lack of mercy and justice, but he can't see it in his own life. I think there's a lot of fathers that they don't make judgments because they know that they have some sin in their own life. So they go, because I have sin in my life, I don't really feel like I can, I can carry out justice in the family. Here's what I would say. Take your sin to the Lord, get forgiveness, and then go into it and, 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 and start to, to deal out justice. Your kids need to see justice. Is there a plank in your eye? Good. Remove it so that you could see clearly to take out the might out of somebody else's eye. It doesn't say, well, that plank kind of disqualifies you. No, remove it. Get it fixed. David has this natural bent towards justice. He's infuriated with injustice, but he can't see that he is the most unjust of them all because in truth, David's inaction has made this situation. Verse 19, the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? And the woman replied, As your soul lives, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. Indeed, it was your servant Joab who commanded me, and it was he who put all of these words into the mouth of your maidservant. In order to change the appearance of things, your servant Joab has done these things. This thing, but my Lord is wise, like the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all that is in the earth. 
she's like, can't pull one over on you. She's kind of buttering him up here. She said, yeah, Joab was behind all of this. Now, she says a beautiful thing about God here, and I don't want you to miss it. The Lord is the angel of God, and he does know all that's in the earth. And in truth, maybe sometimes you feel like me. You're, trying, you're adjudicating some estrangement, and you can't see all sides. You don't, you, you, you just, you're not sure. The good thing is, so we can take these things to the Lord. The Lord will give us a pathway to get through it. Really, it's not true about David. He doesn't know everything. But the Lord does know everything. We can go to God with this. And then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I will surely do this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. He kind of says it quietly. I think his heart smites him. And he looks at the situation and he goes, Go bring Absalom back. Joab falls onto his face, prostrates himself before, and blesses the king. And Joab says, today your servant knows I have found favor in your sight. What was it that Joab needed whenever he was living under the curse? He needed favor. By playing the part of the peacemaker, he was actually doing something redemptive in his own life. We should be peacemakers in the earth. We look at everything going on in our world. It's savage. Boy, isn't today a day where the peacemakers are needed? Not peacekeepers. There's a difference. Peacekeepers will avoid conflict. Peacemakers will make conflict happen to gain peace. O my Lord, the King, in that the King has performed the request of his servant, is there a path for reconciliation? We need to bless the king who has made a way. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Draw me closely to his side. With love and grace. For each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. The great request of my heart is for the exile to have a pathway back. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. So Joab arose, he went to Geshur, and he brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. Watch this. However, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house, and he did not see the king's face. That was the wrong call. When you're restoring someone got to bring him back into relationship. He brought him back to the city, but he didn't bring him back to his side. David should have brought him to David's house. 
The exile should have been able to come in to the father's house. However, the king is taking this situation and he's saying, he's not to see my face. I just want you to know that's a failure on David's part. But God does better. He brings his guilty home again. He restores them. And he brings them into the father's house. How did he go out to bring the exile back? How did he go find the banished ones? God came to earth. Jesus took all the iniquity upon himself. He bore all the weight of the sins of the world upon the cross, and then he went to prepare a place for us in the Father's house. What's the whole point? He's bringing those of us who were banished and those of us who were in exile, bringing us home. You see, he's back into full relationship. Seeking reconciliation sets the table for repentance, but repentance is the meal before the dessert of restoration. I think about Thanksgiving coming up, and I think about how many people have talked to family members and how long. My family's tight. I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. It would feel like a death if there was an empty seat at the table. I'm saying this to us because this is God's word to us today. We got to go make some relationships right. We got to go let God heal some things that we have let sit too many years. The dessert of restoration will come at the end. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to know if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today about correcting a relationship that needs to be healed. He's put somebody on your mind. Would you just raise your hand? Just say, yeah, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. I see those hands. Come on, be, be honest before the Lord. He knows the situation. Could we just make this commitment? Would we lift that person in prayer this week? And remember that when we're praying for that person, God's changing our heart. Because it's hard to get there. And there may need to be some mercy shown, but God wants to restore. We are God's great restoration story. Don't take something from God you're not willing to give to someone else. Let God do a healing in your heart right now. You can always forgive. You can have mercy. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.